Look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Crossroads Church. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about, we wrote it on the wall. If you need some help, and we wrote it on the wall here at the Buellton campus and at the Lompoc campus. And if you're joining us from the Lompoc campus, uh, we love you. And we are so glad that you're gathered together today. We're so thankful for all the volunteers and all the people who make this possible that right now, maybe you didn't realize that at 213 North J, there's a gap gathering of people gathered together watching this sermon live and we're gathered together and submitting to the word of God and we've had some tech- technical difficulties this morning maybe pastor Tyler already prefaced that and so uh, we're going to kind of be on that monitoring uh, the feed and uh, that's what we're trying to do is you are watching this as live as absolutely possible giving our technology and it's incredible why don't you give it up to all the people who make that happen every single week and these are volunteers who make this happen, and, and we are so thankful for all those who do this every week. There's people monitoring it here, monitoring the audio. There's people there who are watching a screen and trying to line up the service when they end worship and when we start here. And so there's so many moving parts. And, and let me say, if you want to help us with that, you can always get involved and volunteer and lend your gifts and talents and abilities to it. We're so thankful for all that God's doing here here at Crossroads Church. And the main thing we do is we teach and preach the Bible. And that's, that's the point. We believe that it's all about And so this story uh, is in the Bible and you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so whether you're at the Lompoc campus or you're here in Buellton, if you need a Bible to follow along, if you forgot yours, you can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get a Bible to you. Now, if you don't have a Bible, take that Bible and read it every single day. That's our gift to you because we believe every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, we've been in this series for uh, many, many months now. Uh, I used to say weeks and weeks add up into months. I don't know if you've noticed that. And, uh, and we've been in this series in the book of Genesis. And so uh, I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis. It's the first book in this library of books that we call the Bible. And so I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 22. And we are not quite halfway through this particular book. And as I said, we've been in it many months. And so 27 years from now, when we finish the book of Genesis, you will remember everything we said today. Amen. Uh, And I'm going to uh, do my best to give you kind of uh, a catch up as we took a break last week. And I'm so thankful for Pastor Justin who came and and gave us a word and uh, so thankful for him and all that God's doing through the bridge central coast. And and so we're going to jump back into Genesis. I'm going to try to catch you up. I'm going to give you this. uh, I'm going to read this text. I'm going to try to catch you up on the story of what 
what's going on here, this famous text that maybe many of you have heard before. And we're going to talk about the theological implications of that. Then I'm going to talk about the practical implications of that text. I'm going to try to take that text from thousands of years old to try to say, how does this relevant for me today? And then we're going to make some um, confessions and we're going to uh, challenge one another in our faith. Amen. And so look at Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse one, it says, after these things, God tested Abraham, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place in which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand and the fire and the knife. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went together. Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. That's where you want to underline that, put an asterisk beside it. One of the most important verses and statements in the entire Bible. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But an angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son, instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this story. 
We thank, thank you for all that you've done and all that you are yet to do. We ask for your grace today that you would help us with this passage that's been in our heritage, in the lineage of so many. So many nations look to this particular passage, Father Abraham and this covenant that he's made with God. I thank you for this glimpse into the heart of a father and his son, but his allegiance and obedience and faithfulness and trust in God. We pray that you would help us today. See what you have for us, for your glory and our good. And everyone said, amen. What a powerful story. What a, uh, a story that kind of ripples throughout time that helps us understand our relationship with God. And, and here's a particular passage that many of us at first glance can be quite puzzling, can be quite disturbing. Abraham, as we've uh, been reading through the book of Genesis, a Abraham has had this uh, covenant with God. God came to him and said, I'm going to make you a father to many nations. And, and and through your offspring will all the families of the earth and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And yet there's a problem. Abraham's wife, Sarah, is barren and she hasn't been able to have children. And this is a difficult thing for anyone to go through. Maybe you've faced that. Maybe you know someone who's going through that. And yet God is giving a promise to Abraham that he's going to have a child. And then he begins to, out of their affliction, Sarah, his wife, and Abraham, out of their affliction, they begin to plot and sometimes uh, when we begin to plot out of our afflictions, our best planning and our best plotting can become scheming. And sometimes what can happen is out of our frustration, hi, hi, yeah, hi, yeah, that's okay. Um, out of our affliction can, can come sometimes where, where we, and uh, in, in our best intent, Tensions because of sinfulness, we can begin to justify any type of behavior because we can trace that back to some type of affliction. We can, we can become a victim in our own right. And we begin to say, man, because of this, I justify this. And, we, and the Bible doesn't remove that from the story. It doesn't remove that from this story with Abraham and Sarah. And the beautiful thing about the Bible is that the Bible does not remove from the story the woes and the sin of our heroes. Aren't you thankful that the Bible doesn't hide some of those mess ups and mistakes. Aren't you thankful that the Bible gives us in, we're in good company when we read the scriptures, that the Bible is a story about everyone else getting it wrong and one person getting it right. Amen. And so when we read the stories, we read about Abraham and Sarah making a 
Amen. It's okay. It's okay. She wants to be in here. Amen. <laughs> we got a we got a spot for you. You can see it in the wiggle room. There's a TV right in the lobby, and you'll be able to see me. And I'm gonna wave at you on the screen. Are you ready? Go find me on the screen right out in the lobby. I'm gonna wave at you. Are you ready? <laughs> Amen. She's all good. Thank you, brother. All right. Is she out there ready? Lompoc, wave at me. <laughs> See, here's the beautiful thing about our relationships with, with people. Our relationships that the Bible shows us is it's gritty and it's real. As polished as we want things to be, as smooth as we want things to go, our relationship with people is not that way. Amen? Amen. Your relationship with your spouse is not that way. That's too hard even. Amen. Uh, Real relationships have grit and teeth to them. Amen. And that's exactly what happens with our relationship with God. It is gritty. It has teeth teeth to it. It is not polished. It is, it is not, uh, it does not take a, a picture of us or our saints and remove our flaws. And this is the story of Abraham and Sarah. They scheme, they have a child with a handmaiden. Abraham lays with Hagar, has Ishmael. And so even when the Bible says this to Abraham, he says, Isaac, your only son. But we know in the story that actually Abraham already has a son. His name is Ishmael. But what we know because of his scheming, because of what he's done, he's treated Ishmael as if he's not a son. And they've actually discarded of them. They, they've, they've cast them out from the family. What a story. Yeah, there's a mess. There's drama. If you, if you felt like that you were raised in, in some drama and your family didn't have the ideal situation, then you're in good company and God can still use the mess of our lives to bring something beautiful. Amen. And that's what we read in the story. But the whole point that God has been bringing Abraham on is this story of faith, this story of trusting God, that when God speaks and gives promises to him, that he actually will trust God to do what God says he will do. And so they have a son. In Sarah's old age, they have a son. And she, she feels embarrassed by this. She is, is, is an old woman now. And she goes, man, look, the people are laughing at me. I'm nursing a baby and I am an old woman. Abraham is confused, man. I, only you could do this, God. I mean, I mean and, and you'll take our embarrassment, you'll take our, our affliction, and somehow you'll take all of the mess and you'll turn it for good. And so they think things are well. The story goes on. Abraham still has these ups and downs, but they've spent maybe three decades in this particular place that they're in. They've had a season of things going 
well. Some scholars believe at the point of Genesis 22 that, that Isaac could be as old as 39 years old. And some conservative scholars would say that maybe he was a, a young boy in his teenage years. And whether you, you think he's a young uh, teenager or a young man, uh, what we find is this is the promised son. This is the son that Abraham loves. And then it says God tested Abraham. And it says that God came to Abraham and says, I want you to take Isaac, the boy that I said I would give you, the boy that you've been with, that you love, Abraham, your only son. I want you to take your son and I want you to go and worship and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. Man, I can't imagine this from the Lord. And here's what I can say is, is here's what we know from the story, the theological implications is God is not telling people to do this. You go, man, how do you, how do you believe this particular thing? Wait a second. I thought other cultures outside of Abraham and the people of God, this is why God brought, uh, brought judgment on cities because of child sacrifice. And, and this is not something that God would do. And, and the law is written on their hearts throughout creation. We know the story of Cain and Abel. It is against the moral law of God for, for someone to murder someone else. And so you're conflicted in this moment. What is God doing? Why would he say this to Abraham? Can I tell you that he's saying it to Abraham so he doesn't have to say it to any of the rest of us. He deals with one so that he can deal differently with everyone else. There's a glimpse, there's a microcosm of how he begins to speak to Abraham and it begins to ripple. And we begin to see the story of why is this scenario with Abraham so much different? What we've seen up until this point is God is dealing with all of humanity, but all of humanity sins and falls short. And then we wrestle with it. We, we read the stories and, and we say things like, man, if, if I was Adam, there's no way I would listen to Eve and that moment. It's like, yeah, right, bro. <laughs> you're frolicking naked through garden of Eden. And a woman says here, do this. You're like, yeah. All right. <laughs> I think, I think I'm in on this, right? Like we have this debate of, no, 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 I wouldn't do it that way. And what the Bible is trying to show us is no, in Adam, all have sinned, all have died. And we would all make the exact same decision. And so God shows what all of humanity will do when all of humanity is left to his own demise. He will plot his own way and his way will be destruction. So what does God do? He chooses one out of the, the many, this one Abraham, and he shows even in the mess, he begins to zoom in on the relationship of Abraham and he begins to show us what a relationship with God is like and who God is in spite of who we are. Let me say this again. He's showing us who God is in spite of who we are. 
See, sometimes we begin to project onto others based on our behavior, our moods, our imaginations. We begin to put on others. We, we begin to cast imaginations. Notice that our relationships change in, in relation to our moods and our imaginations. Have you ever noticed this? And yet, no matter our perspective, no matter who we are, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is good news from the start. Amen? It doesn't change. And so he's showing us who he is. He's showing us essentially where the whole story is going, what we are looking for. God tests Abraham. God makes this covenant with Abraham. And along the way, it seems as though this covenant is one-sided because covenants are, are a two-way thing. Uh, one party makes a covenant with another party and there's terms and conditions. And this party has to live up to the terms and this party has to live up to the terms. But it seems as though God keeps making promises and then holding both ends of the bargain. And now Abraham's at a place, even though at times he's failed the test, he's failed other tests where, where he knows God's promising him offspring through Sarah. And every time they get in a predicament where he's scared for his life by other kings and rulers and, 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 and strong warriors in the region, he lies about his wife and says, it's my sister. He's failed that test twice. And yet now he's come to a place where over and over through small acts of obedience, through him seeing God being faithful, it changes who he is. God, who he is will change who you are. Can we just stop for a moment and say that if, if you have a relationship with God, you will not be the same day after day. Oh, this side of the room, right? Come on, law poke, where you at? If you have a relationship with God, he loves you exactly the way you are, but he loves you enough to not allow you to stay the way you are. Someone say amen to that. We need to hear that as a culture. We need to hear that God is moving us forward away from sin and towards his marvelous light. Amen. And that's what he does with Abraham to the point where Abraham gets to this point where he's failed other tests. But when God says, I want you to get up from here and I want you to take your son and I want you to go to a mountain where I'm going to show you Mount Moriah in, in the region, the Moriah, I want you to take your son and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. And you, this time Abraham doesn't hesitate. He gets up, he begins to prepare. He takes a couple other men. They grab a donkey and I want you to begin to see the symmetry. I want you to fast forward. I want you to think about the story of the New Testament riding into a region on a donkey. I've heard this somewhere before. And then it says that, that he, he cut wood. And then when they go up the mountain, he lays the wood on the back of his son. 
And he begins to make this trek up this mountain, this mountain Moriah that many believe this region would be changed and, and this mountain would be called Zion and it would be in Jerusalem is the region. And, and, and now to this day, the dome of the rock sits at the top of this mountain, this region, this same place where God will offer his son, his only son. Isaac makes the trek like Jesus up the mountain onto the top of Zion. Jesus will make his place up Golgotha, the place of the skull, and he will be offered. Why? Because in this passage in Genesis, God made a covenant with Abraham But Abraham's faith was this, not that he would have to give his only son, although he was committed in his heart. It says that he took the knife and and he was going to plunge it into his son and slaughter his son. And the angel of the Lord come and says, no, no, no. I see Abraham. I see that you will not spare your only son. Look behind you. There's something in his place. The whole time, you can imagine the tension of the story as Isaac is looking around and they've worshiped before. They, they've went to an altar before. It doesn't seem like Isaac is unaware of the process. He's looking, he's going, there's wood. There, we got something to build a fire with. Dad, where, where's the lamb? You can imagine the tension building. Notice the statement I told you to underline and put an asterisk beside. Here's the faith of Abraham. God will provide the lamb for himself. God will provide the lamb for himself. The faith that Abraham has is that God will do the work. He's like, I remember I knew it was like to scheme. I knew what it was like to try to do it on my own, but I'm convinced now that God will do the work. I have faith that God is sufficient. He will provide. That's exactly what the story gives us. The story gives us that Abraham is tested and he passed the test, fulfilling this side of the covenant that he asked Abraham to do it, but Abraham really doesn't do it. And he actually doesn't do any of the work. And it's through his belief. See, Romans will tell us in Romans four that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness, as if he was actually right, as if he was in right standing, doing what God had called him to do. Yet we know in the story that he keeps failing test after test. He doesn't get it right like you and I, but he believes that God is able to provide and God is able to do the work and his faith is counted to him as righteousness. See, there's all these theological implications, and usually I would save many of these for the end of the sermon, but I want to just walk through many of them as I've already given you some of them. What this is, is a foreshadowing of the person of Jesus. Amen. We see that in the story. We have the privilege of sitting in the New Testament, looking back at this story and go, man, God, I don't understand it. But in light of who Jesus is, you go, I get it. 
In light of Jesus, you are showing us what you, through Abraham, through a small glimpse into a man being asked to give his son, you show us the gift of grace that God sent his only son and did not spare him, but gave him as a gift, a ransom for many. It is, you, you, you can identify with Abraham because he's a man. It's very difficult to identify with God because he is God. And so what does God do? He gives us a story of how he interacts, how a man would interact with this, how a man would carry this out. And he says, let me give you a small glimpse of what the heart of a father is. Let me give you a glimpse. That's why we call God our heavenly father. And that's why Jesus is the son. And we see this relationship Jesus, fully God. We believe in one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is fully God. I start every sermon the same way. He is God in the flesh. So what is this story? This story is that man cannot live up to what God is asking. Man cannot live up to the righteous standard of God. Man cannot hold our covenant with God. You ever broken a promise? Even to somebody you love? You ever broken a promise, even though you held them in high regard? How much more difficult is it to keep a covenant with God who is spirit and creator and loves us and cares for us? The story of the Bible is how God made covenant with man and man could not keep. So God became a man and held both ends of the bargain. And yet God gives us a glimpse of his heart for us and his heart for his son. How great is the love of God that he would send his son Jesus to die in our place. See, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That what is deserving, think about our lingo. Think about, you go, man, I don't, I don't understand that, Pastor. What do, you, what do you mean? Because of sin, we would have to die. We have to think of the gravity and weight of sin. Think about when someone wrongs you. Right, you're, you're like, fool me once, fool me twice, right? Payback, you finish the sentence, right? Uh, man, I, I, you, you owe me or, or man, I'm going to get you. We begin to think in relational equity. We begin to think in, in keeping ledgers and keeping scores. L listen, friends, if we do that with the dishes, with our spouse, right? Like I cook dinner, Right. Right, you're doing dishes, right, right? I did this, I went to work, you do this. I've been with the kids all day. Think about all the things in our life. Every relationship is transactional. How much more this relationship with the creator God? And then what do we owe him when we've went our own way? When humanity said, listen, we reject our creator. We reject his design for our life. We would like to decide what, our lives are for. We would rather be driven by what we crave and what we want. And then like zombies, we consume everything around us like dead people walking. So then the wages of sin is death. But the Bible brings this good news that the gift of God is eternal life. This is the gift. 
And see, some of us need to wrestle with the weight of our own sin. We need to wrestle with the weight, not out of condemnation, but out of praise and worship to a good God who would forgive us of such grave a sin as rejecting our creator God. Aren't you thankful for his grace in your life? Oh, you can do better than that. Are you thankful for his grace in your life? Amen. The Bible says those who have been forgiven much, then the love is much. Man, some of us have a story. Some of, some of you don't. And, and some of you are raised in church. Man, some of you have a spotless record. But, but you realize that some of the same woes that you look out into the world and you're frustrated with are the very same things. That if you looked in the mirror and you were honest with yourself, that if that was let out of the box... You go, man, I, I, don't, I don't know. Man, the, the heart is wicked. The thing that I want to do, that's not what I do. The thing that I hate, that's what keeps bringing me that way. Who will deliver me from this body of death? We're like a Tesla trapped on autopilot going off of a cliff. And the scriptures come in. We come week after week and we read the scriptures. And it's as if the map on the Tesla screen saying turn around. But it's on autopilot, man. And it's going off into the abyss. That's what it's like to be trapped in sin. That's what, what it's like for humanity to be trapped in a body of death. They can't turn the wheel. And even though they have the moral code of the scriptures and we know the Bible and yet we still can't. It's like I can't. It's like I'm trapped in a bad 90s pop song. Oops, I did it again, right? That's what happens to us. And that's what the world is trapped into. But who will deliver me of this body of death? Thanks be to God, our creator, who's delivered me and raised me up and resurrected me as if we hit the eject button on the course of humanity going off into the abyss. And we've said, no, I want to be raised to a new life. What's the implication of that? Don't be frustrated when dead people do dead things because you once too were dead in your trespasses and sin. Don't be frustrated when people are also trapped. Ask them to turn. Ask them to get out of the vehicle. There's a way of life. There's a way outside of this. You don't have to be broken and depressed and frustrated. You don't have to be going your own course. You can live a resurrected life with Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the gospel. This is the story. Romans begins to tell us that Christ died in our place. Like the ram caught in the thicket, Christ allowed himself to be bound and chained. An innocent man gets tried and he, he, is, he is charged as guilty. Why? So the, innocent could, or so, so the guilty could be found innocent. The innocent found guilty so the guilty can be found innocent. This is the story. He's caught, he's bound, he's charged, and he's led up with a cross on his back, wood on his back, just like Isaac, carrying the means by which he will be sacrificed to this mountain where God gives his only son as ransom for many. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the gospel. What do I do with that? Well, you believe it, you receive the payment for your sin through faith, you receive this gift of grace. Romans goes on to tell me in chapter 10 that that belief 
will begin to cause confession and my confession will lead to salvation. But there's a test of that. See, there's a test of faith and this is what I wanna begin to talk about over the next few minutes. See, the story of Abraham is about a testing of his faith. See, sometimes I, I think we get confused about what faith actually is, but it's of the utmost importance because the Bible says it is by grace through faith that we are saved. And this is not your own doing. This is a gift from God. Least anyone should boast that God has provided as he provided for Abraham, God has provided for us. So then what is faith? And see, we have all these conversations around faith. We have songs about faith and, and there's an adage that says we just got to have. You just, just got to have faith. He's got to have, got to have faith, but, but I got to be honest. I think faith is a, a misconception about what we have. And there's this verse in Hebrews that, that says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. See, I think sometimes we get caught up on the substance and we forget about the seeing part of that faith. See, I think sometimes what we think about faith, we think about it's something that you can earn and yet we're saved by grace, unmerited, undeserved favor through faith. If faith is earning, then it, then it disqualifies grace and it's no longer a gift. And, and yet when we think about faith, we think of it as something that we can do on our own. Let me give you an example of why I think we believe this way. See, I think sometimes our faith, it, 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 we play these religious games. We, we play uh, the church game. We think about reading and worship and merit badges, and, and we're all playing Chuck E. Cheese games, right? Right. I've given you this example before because I think it's the most potent thing I can think of because we think about, we think about doing all the stuff. How many of you have been to this dimension of hell called Chuck E. Cheese? You ever been there? <laughs> You're like, why would you say that? Weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. I don't know. Right. Just pointing that out. And, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm there. I, I think about this. This is how we treat church uh, activities. It, it, and I get there, man. And I, I'm just like, man, I'm trying to get every high score. I'm puffing out my chest. Man, did you see that high score? I'm trying to down the clown. You ever try to down the clown, man? I'm just throwing my arm out like just 30 seconds trying to like, like, man, what's wrong? Like I'm, I'm, I'm hurting. I, I got a chiropractor afterwards. Like, where you been? Chuck E. Cheese, you know? And, uh, and, and I'm playing the game and here's what we do. We gain all the, these tickets. Have you seen this? I think it's conditioning. Just want to point it out, right? Like there, there's so like, and the, the ones that get the most tickets are the ones that take absolutely no talent at all. Right? And yet you take all these tickets and you go up and you try to cash them in for a prize. Have you seen this? And, and but, but but what happens is all all the kids there, man. We've been there probably an hour and twenty minutes of it with those them crying, and then the time card expires. But they go up and they and they they, they have their their tickets, and like we lost a kid in tickets, and like we're like trying to get him out of, it. and we come over, and the kid goes, man, I, I want the I want the top shelf prize. You ever seen that? You're like, my 
goodness, like a hundred thousand tickets. Like we would have to live here for the next 20 years to get a hundred thousand. I could just buy you one of those. Like, no, I want, we got a, it's a prize. You know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta get this prize. And, and, and then you hand, hand them the tickets and, and it never seems to be quite enough. Just seems like, man, I can't quite make it. See, I think that's how we think about faith. And here's how I know is when, when, when we're believing God for something or we think something's going to go our way, notice that sometimes we'll make statements of like, maybe I didn't have enough faith. Maybe I didn't believe enough. Can I tell you, cancer is a top shelf kind of miracle. Believing God for your child's salvation is a top shelf kind of thing. And you and the enemy will convince you that all of God's plans are based on your merit. That's the trick of the enemy. Do better, do right, get it right or pay the price or don't get the prize at the end of your life. Yeah, can I just tell you that God is better than that? See, God's better. See, I, I think faith is more about that second part. It's the substance. But what is the substance of everything we could hope for? His name is Jesus. He's the substance of, he, he is God in the flesh. He is manifest to us life. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and in him was life and he was the light of man. He is our hope. He is all that we could hope for and love and beauty, what we could aspire to be, what we could wrap our hands around. He is Jesus. And the question is, what do you see? How do you see Jesus? How do you see who God is? See, I, I remember the first time I came to the coast, uh, they asked me this crazy thing about if I wanted a, a partial ocean view or a full ocean view. You ever had this, right? Like I was like, I don't want part. Give me the whole thing, right? Like I don't want to see part of the ocean. And yet I realized the partial, have you ever had one of those partial ocean views where it's like you're in the parking lot? It's like the side of the building and you're like, that, that was the part you were talking about, right? But here, here's, here's the thing about whether you got a, a full ocean view, whether you got a partial ocean view or your feet are in the water, it does not change what the ocean is. Let me say it again. Your view of the ocean doesn't change the power and the mystique and the allure of the ocean. Let me remind you of what I said earlier. Your view of God does not change who God is. It doesn't change. But your faith does. Your faith, it, your view of God will change you. Notice that when you get a different glimpse of something beautiful, you get a different glimpse of the ocean or you're in the ocean, it begins to change who you are. Here we go, man, I, this is different than I thought. Man, I, and yet some people only need to smell salt in the air. You go, man, I, 
You ever get that feeling when you're driving towards the Gaviota Coast, you're coming on the one from Lompoc, you're going down the 101 and you get to that kickback curve. I always say, do you feel it? I feel it, man. I just feel the gravity pulling me. I want to, I want to get to the ocean. See, there are stories of people in the Bible. Abraham's one of them where everyone had a different view of who Jesus was. Everyone had a different view of who God was, but it didn't change who God was. They had a different, they had a different view. Some of the disciples were front and center. They were there with him. And yet even then Judas Iscariot had a, a full ocean view. And yet his decisions are contrary to what he sees. Thomas had a full ocean view, but he said, if I, unless I touch his hands, unless I touch his side, in other words, unless I put my feet in the water, I will not believe. But then there are other stories about people who, who only needed a word from Jesus. There's one lady, Pastor Justin referenced last week, the woman with the issue of blood who had found herself bleeding for years and could not stop her cycle. She'd went to, to doctor after doctor and no one had answers. And she was convinced if I could just touch the hem of his garment. One centurion comes to Jesus and, and, and says, uh, Jesus, uh, my servant is sick. And Jesus goes, I'll come with you. He goes, I don't need you to come with me. He goes, I'm a man of authority and I'm under authority and I, I'm under your authority. If you just say the word, I'll believe it. Jesus says, no greater faith have I seen in all of Judea than this centurion. See, faith is not about what you have. It's about who do you see? Do you see him for who he is? Do you see him as savior? Do you see him as the ability to take away sin and shame? Do you believe that he's able to provide for you a way of salvation? And what is your response to that? Last week, I, we were up in, in the Western uh, Sierras. Uh, we were up in, in Shaver Lake and, and we were going uh, down on the 168 to what used to be Sierra Summit, China Peak, going snowboarding with the kids. And I don't know if you noticed last week, there's a, a bit of a storm. And, uh, and, and it, it got a little dicey from time to time. And I like pride myself. I'm from Eastern Kentucky and I was in the mountain. I drove and everything. I've never seen five feet of snow in 24 hours. What's wrong with, uh, like, and we were in this house and, and there, we had rented with a, a few other families, this particular house and and, and we were all there and Thursday we came back from snowboarding and, and you can imagine what this is like. We have, we have three couples and between the three of us, we have 10 children, uh, three, three and four. And let me tell you, we need the presence of God in that place, right? And it was incredible. They got a lot. We love these families and we were there together and, and when we got there on Thursday, the driveway that we had kind of kicked up into the garage area there. And, and, and me and my other buddy, we, 
we kind of parked at the bottom of the hill and, 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 and our other friend was able to actually get into the garage, but the driveway Thursday evening was completely dry and there was a snow on the roads in, but the driveway was dry. The sun had hit it all day. By the time we got up Saturday morning, I, I have a large vehicle, a large van. And when I got up Saturday morning, you could not find my van completely gone. Uh, there, there was four feet of snow on top of the van. This is our, my low roof van. It looked like it had a high roof and, and we're out trying to like literally walk up beside it. We're losing children in the snow. We're trying to pack it down and we are convinced, man, we are here for the next several days. We're supposed to check out on Saturday. I don't know if you know this. I work on Sundays and, uh, and I'm trapped in, in five feet of snow and there's no one around, no one in the neighborhoods and the road is completely gone. And we're just trying to make the best of it. We start making sled runs down the side of the hill. My wife comes out with, with a, with a cardboard box that says plow SOS. Like we're going to put just in case somebody comes out, we're going to put a sign, but we're going to make the best of it. But in our mind, we're starting to go. We got uh, three packs of bacon and some PB&J. And last time I checked, none of us was Jesus and are feeding a bunch of kids out of a couple packs of bacon. Like this is going to go quick, right? There, there, there are six adults, 10 children, and we're beginning to go. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, I know we're fine right now, uh, but we're going to have to start rationing food pretty soon. And I'm just going to tell you that your pastor was contemplating, uh, breaking into other houses and raiding their <laughs> freezer, right? Just not above that at all. And, uh, we'd have paid for it, but we we're going to take it. And, uh, and so we're like trying to figure out what we're doing. And, and we, uh, that morning took us, uh, took us probably four to five hours of just shoveling around the vehicles just to get snow. Uh, and there was no way we're shoveling the driveway, no way we're shoveling, uh, the road and we're stuck and no one's coming in and out deserted neighborhood. And, and it was, the snow was so high on the balcony that from the lower level of this house, you couldn't see out to the road. The, the snow had come up and basically was covering to the top of the door to where you couldn't see down the road. So I went upstairs in the loft. I'd taken a shower after all the shoveling of snow and I come out and somebody goes, I hear a plow. Beep, beep. Where's it? And I could see from the top level, I go, the sheriff's department said that's, that's, that's the sheriff. And all of us begin to put on our gear, even though we had just like, we were all snowed up and, and had all the right gear. This time we're throwing on whatever we can. And we're running down to the bottom. Like, Hey, help us. Like, don't go away. Plow us out. And, and here's what had happened. And why they were there is my buddy, Kellen had went to the other houses in the neighborhood and he had started ringing all the ring doorbells. 
And he was like putting a number on all of the rings, like, hey, like call this number, right? Like and ring it. And that, that was like at the time seemed like the least productive thing we would be like, what do you mean you're going to take a walk to, you know, like, where, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to go try to see if there's any. They're like, there's nobody here. And yet he, there was hope that someone could come save us. There's some type of belief that we're not going to be able to do this on our own. We're going to need someone to get us out of here. And when the sheriff's department came, we, we asked, he said, oh, I'm glad you guys ran down and told me because we just got reports that there was some guy wandering around the neighborhood in full China Peak gear. And he's like, if you guys hadn't come, we were sending out search and rescue for someone who, who's face up in the snow. We're like, how did he even get back there? We ran out and we, we paid the, the plow to, to plow us out. And it took like 30 minutes just for them to plow our driveway. And then we got all the stuff in the vans as quick as we could. And we were ready to go and we were safe. We really didn't do anything in that scenario. There was a, a lot of effort. There, there was for us, you know, trying to get uh, around the vehicles and get it out, but we really didn't make a dent in anything that we did. We needed saving. And yet, when we saw our salvation, we didn't stand in one place. When we saw the lights, we heard the beep, beep, <laughs> What, what is that? Right now, I, I saw the star of the sheriff's department on the van. We go, man, we got to get down there. We got to get, this is our salvation. We got to get out of here. We didn't do any of the work. They did it. See, sometimes we forget that it's God who does the saving. But the question is, do you hear him? Do you see him? And are you willing to run to him and accept his salvation? See, Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. See, God longs to save. He has provided a way of salvation. He wants to save you from your sin, pull you out of the muck and the mire and set your feet on a solid rock. But when he shows you who he is in your mind's eye, see the Bible says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. That old song we used to sing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. The question is, when you see Jesus, see God has given, Abraham had faith, meaning he could see what God would do ahead of time. He saw who God was, that he would provide. Do you see God? Are you able to see that he provided a way of salvation, that he sent his only son and he died in your place? Do you see him as a good God who would not spare his own son? that his son would die in your place 
forgiving you and absolving you? And are you willing to run to the foot of the cross where there is salvation? See, this is what saving faith is. It was a test. See, a test is not something, see, we think about test in a different way. Sometimes we think of the test as as something I get in school and I earn my grade. Uh, how, How many of you wear glasses? I'm gonna, uh, I'm a, I'm colorblind in red and green. Yeah, they're like anybody else know what that means. You anybody else colorblind in red and green? You know, the, I remember one time I said that, and this guy, the most fascinating. He's he's like, Christmas must be horrible for you. <laughs> You understand? I remember when I got a, a colorblind test when I was a kid, uh, I went to the, the eye doctor and they held up all these, these, uh, these dots. You can Google this kind of test and there's these dots there and inside the dots, there's either like a number or like an image or, or something like that. And I, I remember I was, I was probably in third grade and I went to get an eye test and, and the lady gives me the test and she's like, what number do you see? And I was like, I don't see a number. She was like, okay, what number do you see? I, I don't see a number. And she's, she's like this, uh, just make one up. And I was like, I don't know, 17. She's like, it's three. And I was like, I said, I don't see a number. <laughs> see that test allowed me to know where I was, what was going on with me. And it also allowed others to know what was going on. It wasn't about me passing a test. It was about me being aware of where I am. See, that's what this test of faith is. Saving faith is the test of knowing that you trust God with your salvation. The test is, are you moving towards him? The test is, are you trusting him? And if you are, what will happen is your life will be changed. The closer you see him, the more you see him, the closer you get to him, everything changes. Will you pray with me? With every head bowed, with every eye closed, Maybe it's the Lompoc campus, you're hearing this sermon. And I say that there's a test of your faith, a test of saving faith. Saving faith is you believing in your heart that causes confession with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. He died in your place for your sin and he offers you new life in exchange for his. You can see him in your mind's eye. You see the way of salvation. Will you stay put or you run towards the path and the way of salvation?
it starts with you taking one move. I want to help you this morning. There you go. I've never made that decision. I've never taken that step. I want to help you. I want to pray with you. I want to lead you in a prayer to get you started. Church, will you say this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, but you're a good savior. You died for me so I could live for you. Come into my life. Give me a new life, a resurrected life. Bring me out of my old ways. Set me on solid ground. I want to live for you. Jesus, I thank you for every person. Maybe some who said that prayer for the very first time. You made a way where there seemed to be no way. You offer the way of salvation. We thank you and we praise you for all that you've done and yet to do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?